Software is broken, but it can be fixed. Test Double's superpower is improving how the world builds software by building both great software and great teams. And you can help. Test Double is hiring empathetic senior software engineers and DevOps engineers based in the United States and Canada. We work in Ruby, JavaScript, Elixir, and a lot more. Test Double trusts developers with autonomy and flexibility at a remote, 100% employee-owned software consulting agency. Looking for more challenges? Enjoy lots of variety while working with the best teams in tech as a developer consultant at Test Double. Find out more and check out remote openings at link.testdouble.com slash greater. That's link.testdoub. Le.com slash greater. and welcome to episode 272 of Greater Than Code. My name is Mandy Moore. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm here with our new panelist, Aaron Aldrich. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks. And uh, hey, I'm Aaron. I use they, them pronouns. And I am also here with Shantae Martinez-Thurmond. Hey, everyone. Shantae here. I use she, her, aya pronouns. And I'm so glad to introduce our guest today, Ashley Wilson. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Hello, Ashley here, and I use she, her pronouns. Ashley is the founder and CEO of Automate, the world's first elevator and escalator auditing system. After discovering that customers were an afterthought to most companies, Ashley left the corporate world and founded Automate under a people-first mentality. Ashley knows discrimination firsthand as a queer woman working in tech industry, and she aims to create a space where everyone has permission to be human. What a great bio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Ashley, the first question we ask our guests is, what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? My superpower is my ability to see the vision. And it's a bit of a witchy, I don't know where it comes from. The The best visual representation I've ever seen of it is if anyone has seen Queen's Gambit. And when she can like move the chess pieces on the ceiling, when I'm in the zone and it's often when I'm like half sleep, it just like connects and I'm like, oh, this is how it works. And I can just see the path forward. I can't force it. (laughs) I don't get to choose when it happens. It just happens or it doesn't. But when I get those like deep downloads on the vision and the path forward and then I think the skill that's been learned to couple with that is then how to make a plan to execute it because, you know, the vision can be one, but that execution does not work alone. That's awesome. I like that. I like that you mentioned the skill that gets paired with that. I can relate to like a superpower can't exist in a vacuum. It needs some way to be harnessed and used. Absolutely. I love that too, Aaron, where where you're going with that because what it makes me think about, Ashley, just reading your bio and kind of getting a preview of some of the things you care about. How have you been intentional about building a people first organization or a startup in this space and using that superpower and and maybe either finding people who compliment you there or who are 
distinctly different, but I'd love to hear how you've been intentional about that. Yeah. I think it starts with, first of all, when you feel othered in any organization, right? Like coming in and being able to like set the culture is like, oh, I'm going to do all of these things. But like, as Aaron mentioned earlier, it's not in a vacuum, right? And so I think the intentionality has been, what is the mission? What is the North Star? How do we treat each other? And then at every new hire, at every new customer acquisition, it then iterates and iterates and iterates and iterates. And you have to be willing to learn and to take feedback and to eat a shame sandwich every once in a while when you screw it all up and, and you have to admit it because it happens every single time. And I've been called to the carpet. And I think one of the biggest ways that I've been intentional is being communicative about call me out. Call me out. I'm never going to know all of the things all the time. And I think that my team knows me well enough to know my intentions, but it comes the intentions versus impact conversation, right? Like I can only know my intentions unless you tell me how this impacts you. I can't know. And so creating a culture of my team being able to, to call me out and be like, hey, your intention was good. The impact sucked. Let's talk about it. <laughs> What's that like practically to get folks like on that side and like able to call you out. Cause I know for like, I'm thinking about it and like, I'm not going to jump into any corporate culture and be like, even a startup and be like, yeah, I feel comfortable calling out my, my boss on this. Yeah. I don't think we feel like we have a corporate culture at least yet, Yeah, but that also took time in creating. So one way that we did it was we have something called the, this doesn't make sense log. So that people can just document either things in the system or things in the culture or things in policies that just are kind of dumb. Like, why do we do this this way? This doesn't make sense. This makes my job harder than it should be. You know, the, the, we need to get X done, but you're making us do Y and Z that don't go toward the greater mission. And then also we created a emotional fitness survey for every employee. So that each person, and it's left in one place. So each person says, I want to receive praise publicly or privately. Or if I need to get feedback, I want to receive it like this. Or, you know, these just different questions on how people want to be communicated to. And I think setting up those conversations as people log in and it's like, it's okay to speak up. It's okay to push back. I expect you to push back on me makes people feel more comfortable, but it takes a while. It does. I love that. I, I use something very similar to that for my own consulting business in my firm. And it's been something that we really lean into helpful to just make sure that it's transparent. And it's like a nice, you know, it's a nice reminder as a leader that, you know, your answers to questions can change, mm -hmm. like giving people permission yeah. to say, you know, how I'm showing up today is different than how I showed up yesterday because life, <laughs> you know, and so I, I really love that. And the other sort of burning thing that I have for you is because I read that you had been in this business. So I, I'm guessing that you had learned it from people. It, it, and maybe it was a family business. I might have missed that part. I'm curious how doing it your way this time with these like sort of principles is different than the way maybe you were mentored to do it or what you've seen in the past and why that's important. Yeah. I don't know that I had ever seen it modeled before, right? Like I was raised in the elevator industry. And before that, 
my stepdad was in the elevator industry and my dad was like salesman of any type, like door-to-door salesman selling like vacuums to cleaners, to cars, to, you know, whatever the case may be. And I've never fallen in line. Like I was always the kid in school that was like, why do you do it that way when you can do it this way? Why are we doing this? That doesn't make sense. And like, that doesn't feel good. And people are like, well, we don't really care how you feel. And I'm like, but why? It doesn't feel good. Like, why do, why do people want to work where it doesn't feel good? This doesn't make sense to me. That feeling in my tummy has always been so strong that it's like, it's either a hard yes or a hard no. And I'm like, how do you operate in a hard no all the time. Like, why do we expect people to operate in these like, like visceral responses to this? And just watching how teams have responded and how, you know, you almost want to beat the individuality out of people to get performance to a certain standard or something like, like that somehow makes it better for everybody to be, you know, like that whole homogeny equals happiness saying. And it was never true to me. And so I think I always had this, like, if I feel like this, there has to be someone else that feels like this. I cannot be the only one that wants to show up as my true self and talk about feelings in business meetings. I cannot be the only one. This has to exist. I started a Dare to Lead book club at the elevator office, which (laughs) I'm sure you can imagine how that went over. And everybody showed up. And I was like, oh, So y'all want to act like this is okay and that everyone seems okay. But then look at all of these white cis men in my Dare to Lead book club, huh? (laughs) And so it just kind of like gave me the affirmation that I needed to say, people do want to feel good. People do want to talk about feelings. And and this does actually help the bottom line. I mean, I personally love it. What I do for my day to day is focus on culture and focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility and organizations, whether it's on teams and products and services and offerings. And I think that people underestimate what it takes to build something that's special, especially like they don't, they don't, there's like not a culture budget, right? There's a budget for recruiting. There's a budget for like performance stuff and for, you know, growth. And I'm like, but what is the fascia? What is the stuff that keeps it together? And it is the culture. I often like to say, as we're thinking about the future of work and building the next iteration of work, what work should be in decentralized teams working from home, we do need to lean into the sort of the soft skills that actually aren't that soft, but they're like those emotional intelligence stuff, Mm -hmm. right? That makes a huge difference. So is there any advice you might have to leaders like you who are like, okay, I guess I might read a dare to lead, you know, book, or I might start to prioritize this, like, where can they start? Or what are practical things that you've learned along the way in leading your company in in this fashion? Listen, Listen is the first one. Listen when you get defensive. Because those moments when your team says something to you that seems so small and insignificant and annoying because you have all of these big things to do and all of this, you're pushing the company forward and there's this little voice that someone was brave enough to say this little thing that you're like, ugh. That defensiveness, that feeling, that whatever that small thing is, is probably a big thing or will become a big thing, right? And being able to own up to whatever it is that's making you defensive or uncomfortable 
and truly listening in and digging into like, what is the root cause of that? Because it's generally, I mean, I don't know if you know the saying, like something about the rapper, it's never the rapper, right? Like you get into a fight about the rapper on the counter. That's never the rapper, right? It's not throwing away the rapper. It's like, it's the underlining way of how, how we are making people feel. And for me, it's been about being able to truly dig into those things. The doesn't make sense log came from one of those experiences. My team, we were in these meetings and they would bring up these little things and be like, hey, Ashley, well, what about this? And I'm like, it's not the time for that. We're talking about Z. Why are you bringing up A, right? We're in this like super deep meeting about Z and you're talking about A. And then they were like, you're not listening to us. You say that you're people first, but you're not hearing us, which is like a dagger to the heart, right? It's like gutting. And I had to sit with it for days because I was like, I know I'm people first. I know my intention is right. How am I not translating it? How is it? How are my actions not, not matching my intentions? And when I boiled down to it, it was people didn't have an easy way to bring up little things to me. And so those little things would start to get bigger and then they'd bring them up in big meetings because my schedule's booked, right? And so there, we don't have water cooler talk. We don't have like walking by someone's desk and being like, hey, what's happening with blah, 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 right? Like that stuff doesn't exist. And so these little things were starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because there wasn't an easy place to just discuss them. And so creating one log alleviated so much pain and made people feel heard about, hey, this this one email has a misspelling and no one's paid attention to it, right? Like just little stuff. And then the second thing is like that we've been starting is more personal time. We started what I call an audit mate lounge, which is on Fridays. And it's just meant to be logging on and just like hanging out with each other. It's like water cooler time. Like you can be working, you can be doing other things, but this is not a business meeting. This is not like, you know, meant to get, get things done. It's meant to just hang out. I like that. There's uh, I just started working at a new company this month and they similar, the, the team I'm on at least that the, the DevRel has similar, like, oh, we're just going to hang out for a bit because I'm around <laughs> and whatever. And I've really appreciated it because it's something that I feel like when you're in an office, it's easy to lose track of all the time that you spend just being around those people and building those relationships because it's just rolled into, oh, I was getting a coffee or, oh, we went to get lunch or, oh, we went to do this. And, oh, I walked by the desk and said, hey, for a few minutes. But especially, you know, with COVID with everyone remote and at home or remote companies, like it's so easy to forget about that stuff and forget about building those connections that are more than just Hey, we work on this thing together. It's like, oh yeah, also we're people and we should hang out and talk about what people do, which is sometimes just nothing. Absolutely. And it's how we build trust. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a big thing too. What are your favorite ways to build trust? Oh, well, I never really thought about it like that. I think I'm a Scorpio moon and rising. So I like all of the deep things like, hi, I'm Ashley. Tell me about all your trauma. So I think the biggest way that I like to build trust is just in deep conversation and really getting to know each other and like being vulnerable and being able to just like take the mask off. Do you think you can do that too much though with coworkers? Like where do you find that balance? 
Because I, I struggle with that myself. Like, how do you be open and completely vulnerable, but professional at the same time? Why is vulnerability not professional? That's a great question. <laughs> that I think that's, I think that's where, I, and I don't have an answer to it. It's kind of what I'm rumbling, right? But like, why is vulnerability pegged with femininity? And why is vulnerability loaded into being unprofessional or too much or too whatever. I think that there's the vulnerability that I don't want to expose too much as if it's loaded with fear, right? Because feelings aren't facts and I don't want to unload fear onto my team. If there's something that I'm nervous about, I feel like it's my my responsibility to hold those things and to alleviate some some fear. But I think unpacking with my team that we can be vulnerable and that is actually more professional because it is, it does make us more efficient. It does make us more trusting, I guess would be the proper word there. The personal things that I don't share as far as vulnerability is like there's some personal life stuff that I don't share, but not because it's not professional, but because it's sacred more. I think you mentioned something interesting about fear that gets an interesting balance, like from a Mm -hmm. leadership perspective, right? You have some responsibility about the vulnerability that you share and what you're able to be vulnerable with your team that may be different than you want from an individual contributor on that team, right? Like you probably want to hear the fears of your Mm -hmm. team. Like, tell me what you're worried about so I can either alleviate those or we can work to, to be in a good place. But at the same time, sounds like you have some responsibility that like, I can't unload that on you because I'm the one who's supposed to be taking care of that. How does that play out? I mean, besides just that one generic scenario, is there other ways you find that balance difficult to walk or? Yeah. Like fundraising, right? Like my team needs to trust that I'm going to pay the bills. Like I don't want them to be worried about having money for payroll or, you know, that we're going to be set up for our next raise or that you, right? Like there's some basic survival stuff that can be so, so linked to trauma of like, if we don't feel like we're going to have food on our tables for our family, if we don't feel like we're going to have continual pay, if we don't, you know, those sort of things that are just like human nature, we can't think and we can't perform. Because it is my duty to take care of my family. And if I can't take care of my family with this company, I need to go do what I need to go do, right? And so that's where it's my responsibility to the, those fears, especially when irrational, right? Like if I'm having imposter syndrome about raising woman money as a queer woman, and it's irrational because maybe not irrational, but loaded because of statistics, like I shouldn't unload that on them. I, or I need to have someone, a mentor, someone that I can go to because they need to be expressed. But that could get bigger and bigger and bigger when shared with my team. And so I really think about our North Star is being excellent to each other. And so when my vulnerability is serving to them is when I share. And not just when it's serving to me. Because, yeah, it'll make me feel better to express that I'm scared about funding, but it will not make my team feel better. It will, in fact, make them feel worse. You know, what I, what I hear is this dance we have to do yeah. as folks who have founded companies or leaders of those companies to have what I consider, again, that emotional 
intelligence, right? It's like, because totally. self-awareness is, is huge. And when you get a chance to, when you know, you know, your sort of traps or the traumas and the triggers that keep you stuck or actually help to get you to another place, you can notice them in others. And then the regulation is really important as well to really build relationships that are trusting and then discernment like of, you know, it's like timing is everything to be like, you have to be able to read the room. You have to be able to like be perceptive and read people's faces and understand that they may have disassociation. Like they might be smiling, but they actually might be scared shitless <laughs> as you're like, Oh, we're raising around. And I love how you, you know, how you kind of introduce this thought around, Maslow's sort of hierarchies of needs like yeah people want to be able to put food on the table and be able to take care of their responsibilities whether that's a family or a spouse significant other a friend a community and that is why we work <laughs> we need the money because we're in this capitalistic you know system so I just love how you're doing that and where my mind takes me is like how did you have the wisdom to do that like who has been a you know, either an example that you admire, give a coach, do you have a community? Like, where are you learning these awesome things? Because I feel like you're so in touch with this emotional intelligence piece that so many people are missing. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I did not used to be, <laughs> to be quite honest. And I learned about emotions getting freshly sober at like 24 from Brene Brown. I had no idea. I had no idea. I quit drinking and remember starting to read one of her books and saying that like an emotionally intelligent person knew 30 emotions. And I was like, wait, there's more than happy and sad. You're telling me there's 30 that I should be able to name 30 and know what they feel and like in my body. Right. And what? according to her new book, she has even more stuff. I think <laughs> yeah. there's like 80 plus, you know, yeah. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> This is a thing. And that's when it kind of dawned on me when people, people would, would say to me, you don't get it. You don't get it. And I'm like, I don't get what? And then I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to know what you're feeling until I know what I'm feeling. Cool. Great. I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> and so that's when I think I started like unpacking and learning. And I was raised by an alcoholic and then became one. And then getting sober at a young age was like, oh, this is mine and that's yours. And I didn't know that, that I ended and you started. And so really learning and starting to like place those things for me and then just reading a lot, like a lot of Eastern spirituality. I read a lot of Buddhism books, a lot of yoga books, a lot of Brene Brown vulnerability, shame, rumbling type books. And then I think it's just kind of been like a, I'll take this from that. And really it just leads from what feels good and what doesn't. Personal growth is essential. I'm in the same boat, almost the, like I too am sober and it has changed my life. And over the past two years, I have done so much work on myself that sometimes I'm like, I'm doing too much, but mm -hmm. I learned totally. so That's much. A thing. I, I, Brene Brown is one of my heroes. Glennon Doyle too. I was just going to mention her. Yes. Oh my God. Love, love Glennon. Yeah. So personal growth is, I mean, journaling. I, every day mm -hmm. I make it a habit and a practice to sit down mm -hmm. and just write out my thoughts and my feelings. 
And I highly, highly suggest to anybody who will listen to me to do the same thing. Same. <laughs> morning pages are a wonderful thing. If you can do it in the morning, just get everything out of your head, even the yep. dumbest little thoughts, the like quote unquote dumbest little thoughts. I mean, there are no dumb thoughts, but just getting all the, I call it taking the trash out. Oh, I like that. And just like, even like, snippets of any weird dreams or just little nagging thoughts that are in the back of my head, getting mm -hmm. all those things out is just so essential. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know the holistic psychologist? I do. Yeah. And her future self journaling has also been really helpful at times, like sitting down in the morning and saying, you know, my future self will feel like this and this is how my future self will take care of me today it has also been really powerful for along those same lines. Mandy, I loved your question earlier when you were like, how do you like know, like some people are not comfortable in doing that. And so I feel like what's also really true about organizations and teams is just like, you can have somebody who's like kind of the sage or like most wiser elder on the team who's like, I've been through this, I've walked this path. And then there's people who are like, oh, vulnerability. It's like, and then the magic of like that leader in the room is finding like, or recognizing the spectrum of that mm -hmm. and being like, all these things are actually welcomed and everybody's experience matters. So how do you do that for your team? Like I'm, I'm imagining you have people who are newbies on this journey with you or people who are like, this is the best. Maybe they, maybe they gravitated and wanted to join you because they recognize parts of themselves in you. But how do you manage that part for your team and, you know, kind of carry and make room for the full spectrum of folk? Yeah, I think I'm still learning that one. I think we're always learning that one as, as our teams constantly change and evolve. The emotional fitness survey helps like, I definitely call people out, right? And I'm like, okay, how does this feel to everyone? Everyone has to talk. I'm waiting and I will wait for you to talk, which I know can be jarring for folks that don't want to share in a group. So really making sure to get everyone's input and that everyone gets used to speaking up in front of the group and that it is just a round robin mentality, but then also developing those one-on-one -on -one relationships. And so people feel comfortable being like, Hey, I'd rather share with you my idea after the call or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, I think it's my job to hold space and it's my job to shut up sometimes and pass the mic. Right. And it's my job to push and to pull back. Right. And so to like really, really look at those levers of like, Who's ready for more and who has the potential to and, and wants to develop that potential and maybe it's fear or maybe it's something that's blocking them that, that I can help them see. And then for other folks, they're like, Hey, I'm good. I'm chilling. I want to be right here. I don't want to be the big boss. I want to be your right hand human and like, let me stay where I'm at. I'm in my lane. Move, like go away, <laughs> you know? So. I think it's just really listening to folks and listening and then also help to see what's what may be blocking our views. I I think I shared that, you know, the work I do is diversity, equity and inclusion, accessibility stuff. And I often lead a lot and facilitate a lot of conversation around helping leaders and their teams recognize their identities, their intersectionality and 
recognizing social location and how that plays out with power privilege. And so, you know, one of the things we read about you is that you are a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that that's a very prominent identity for you because you've shared it online, you know, openly. Thank you. But I, I know there's other parts to you. So like, what are the identities that you lead with? And I, I mean, we could start with the most obvious and kind of learn more about you from there. Yeah. So I lead with queer always. Queer is just, I mean, it is through and through who I am. I realize the privilege I have with the way that I present to the world. In most instances, I will always be safe. And I think that it's my responsibility as a VC-backed founder to take that space and and to, I don't know, really own that for me, right? Like I have the privilege of being safe. And so let's make this known and let's, let's, let's make room for more folks while I'm here. You know, I can elbow folks out of the way so that we can, we can keep some more space. But the other parts of me, you know, gender, I don't really know right now. I'm kind of at the point that I think it's really garbage right now. So I don't, I don't really know. I struggle. I've, I've, I've been in the dance with gender for a while. And it's like, you know, I feel like I would be taking up too much space to come out as non-binary. And I know that non-binary is not, you don't have to look a certain way. I realize I have a lot of cis presenting privilege and it's not about that for me. I finally have landed on the conclusion that I don't give a crap about gender at all. It's more genderless and even non-binary feels too boxy for me. And so, I don't know, I'm kind of ambiguous on that right now. I say I'm, uh, you know, just generally agnostic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved your response. I, I'm really into somatics and like noticing bodies because mm-hmm. bodies show up in space. And yeah. People are triggered by bodies sometimes and like recognizing it could be that, you know, your, your race, your, your ethnicity, it could be your age or your ability or, you know, where you grew up, an accent or any, is there any other parts of you that you feel like are prominent or that you lead with or maybe don't lead with and curious just to hear more about it? I think I'm pretty heavily tattooed and I also dress kind of funky in most <laughs> instances, right? Like I can't tell right now, but half my hair is orange and half my hair is red and I'm loud and I'm vocal and I'm kind of, I'm very little, but I'm big in, in spaces. (laughs) And I think that makes me different because most of the spaces that I operate in, I've been in this like old elevator world, right? It is like 98% white men. And I'm joking kind of about the industry, but being like, I'm not going to shrink myself anymore. You will be uncomfortable by me. Like, don't let the crop top fool you. I am a CEO and I'm not going to change my crop top. Like, sorry. Yes. See, this is why I'm asking. That's, that's, (laughs) I mean, I love it. You just naturally went to like, okay. So like, those are the things that that's how you're showing up. Mm -hmm. Right. And then like, Mm -hmm. what's true for the industry and what you're in. And you kind of already went there. So I just, I think it's like dope. And I think context, you know, like the, the context matters because you're like, yeah, am I in a room with other queer people who are leading tech companies and, or am I in a predominantly male, cis, you know, able-bodied, privileged, born and educated United States industry and, you know, with where I'm blending elevator technology, whatever. So yeah, thank you for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times I walk into the room and it's like either I'm uncomfortable or they're uncomfortable. And so I'm like, you're going to be uncomfortable today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to make you feel things and I'm going to make you recognize your privilege because guess what? We all must be painfully aware of our privilege. And if I am in a room all full of white people, all full of able-bodied people, all full of privileged people in some sense, let's talk about this. Why are we not? Why are we not talking about the humans that are impacted by the work that we're doing? Hello? That sounds... It sounds like that was a big influence for your people centric company too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to put that experience on you, but it, totally. I don't want to ask it from a place of naivety and, and say like, oh, did this affect it? Like, it sounds like very obviously your identity and being counterculture to the elevator and escalator world has influenced your company, right? And where you want to go with that and how you want to show up. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Being in that space and, and being different and just being like, you know what? If I don't own this, I'm going to feel terrible forever. And I don't want to because I, it's great. It's great. And I, I can walk into the stud in San Francisco and feel fantastic. And so why do I not feel that same confidence level in this boardroom? Right. You're not going to make me feel small. I'm sorry. You're not. I think it's a big... I don't know if I'm seeing so much of a shift, right? It's a, it's a big portion of, I don't know where I want to go with that, but I really like that. You're not going to make me feel small. I like the idea of, of showing up and like, you know what, this is me. And just because you're uncomfortable, I'm not going to diminish myself. Absolutely. And I think, and the reason that I do that is me doing that shows other people that it's safe. And at least if I'm in the room, you're safe to be who you are if I'm here. Right. Hmm. And so that's why I put queer on my LinkedIn. That's why I lead with that because I know I'm safe. And so if I have, I feel responsible to it. I know you mentioned you can show up and be safe and create that safety in that environment. Has that been something you had or had modeled for you? Or is that something you had to go out and create this space where you could be that beacon of safety? I think it's been modeled in my queer community. I don't think it had been modeled in corporate culture. And, you know, I'm also not lost on how privileged I am to be safe. And I, I'm not the, the bear of safety, right? And, and realize that there's many more intersections that go into that and that I'm here to listen and to learn and I don't know everything. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so it's important to just be really vulnerable about what we don't know and to say, hey, I'm going to fuck it up. And there's going to be ways that I am not aware of my unconscious bias yet. So please teach me. And if you don't have emotional capacity to teach me, I'm not saying that it's your responsibility. But if you can call me out, please do. Yeah, that's a that's a really important thing. I feel like being, you know, in solidarity with other with others who are othered, right? Like for me, it's like, okay, oh shit, we have Black History Month coming up around the corner, you know? And I often, I have some friends who are Black and queer or Black, queer and disabled. And they're just like, oh, which which one should I lead with first? And I'm like, all of them? Like you shouldn't have to choose any of them over the other parts of yourself because they're all valid and they all inform your lived experience in this particular body that you're in. And I want people to see the complexity and the wholeness of others and just be like, that is dope. And I love how you said 
when people have the capacity to teach you, you invite it, but you're not demanding it. Because so many times we've, I think we all can speak to this on this call, we're all in community, but like, it is like we, some of us have more resource and more ability to show up for each other at other points in time, because we're going through something <laughs> that the whole world doesn't know. And it is likely because of our, you know, identity and our social location and our privilege and, you know, the the unique things we're, we're kind of going through as we navigate life. And it's really important to just constantly communicate that as well, that people, you know, you're, you're, you're inviting this kind of calling out or calling in and that people don't have to educate you. But like, I hear the willingness to want to show up and learn, which I think is literally the key, <laughs> like the willingness. Yeah. Awesome. It's at least half, yeah. half the battle, right? Yes. Totally. Yes. I think that, you know, my friend and I were having a discussion about community here and it was like, you cannot have a community space that never once is going to screw up or have an issue or have, you know, be called out or called in. How you move through that or like what, I don't know, if you continue to be a safe space is not in not getting called out. It's how you deal with it. It's how you take that feedback from someone or the community group and say, one, thank you for telling me. Let's be grateful that someone had the bravery to even speak up. And two, then you get to say, is this mine or not? Don't lead with like the buts or the whys I did it or the here's my intent. Don't lead with that. Lead with gratitude <laughs> that someone felt safe enough to come forward. Someone felt that you were worth getting their feedback. Because guess what? If they didn't believe that you would change, they probably wouldn't even tell you. They'd just leave. They'd just deem the space as unsafe and go. So like that, that in itself, how you take feedback will determine how your community and your company thrives, both. And then apologize and move on. Bingo. Yes. And like make material changes to show that you've <laughs> yeah. learned. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good pointer. And then act. Also important, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I was That lesson of taking feedback, I think, and, and understanding like, the value of that is so huge. And it's a hard lesson. Like this is probably the hardest lesson of dealing with my, my kids, for instance, is like, Hey, that first call out, I wasn't really upset with you, but then when you acted super defensive and flipped out and like, like that's the problem that I have, that's mm -hmm. not okay. Totally. Like the initial action was just like, Hey, we need to change this. Let's, let's alter our behavior and move on. But all the other stuff that was not good. That, that we need to work on. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough lesson. I think it requires an ego check, right? Like decentering and recognizing like, oh, this call out's not about me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And it's not easy work. You got to eat it. It's not right. fun. Yeah. I've, I've had to learn not everything's about me. <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor. I hear people say the VPNs have a reputation for slowing down your internet speed, but not with NordVPN because it's the fastest VPN in the world. I don't have to sacrifice internet speed for better security. With NordVPN, my internet traffic is routed through a secure encrypted tunnel which protects my data and privacy. I can also have it on up to six devices like my laptop, phone, TV, iPad. All my devices are protected. 
Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash GTC or use the code GTC to get a huge discount on your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. A thing I wanted to get back to a little bit, I loved when Shantae was talking about Folks who have this, you know, folks who said that were, you know, black and queer and disabled and this multiple identities and leading with all of them, I think, especially industry wise or big corp wise anyway, we create these like interest groups of like, this is the, you know, black community interest group. This is the pride interest group. This is the disabled workers interest group. And I feel like it misses so much of the value of intersectionality. And I'm wondering if you've seen that being able to both in your space and your identity and being able to create that space of vulnerability yourself, if you've noticed a, a benefit of that. No, I think that's interesting. And and I like the note here that employee resource groups can be really great and really crappy. I totally agree, right? Yeah. Like often it feels to me that the goal is visibility and understanding at the end of the day. And we get great visibility in employee resource groups, right? We feel seen with people that are like us in some way or another. But really, we want to to have this intersectionality. So how do we get both? My gosh, right? Like, how do we, how do we have the representation, which is so important? How do we have the understanding, which is so important? And then how do we move past the feelings of not feeling seen so that we can see others. Because if we don't think it's possible to be seen, we're probably not able to see others. And I mean, we need an on-staff therapist, really. Let's just be honest. Yes. <laughs> I'm not against that idea. I, now you're talking my <laughs> language. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I, 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 if I had it my way, all organizations would offer that as like their employee health and wellness benefit is to have somebody who's like on site. And if, if you, depending on the ratio of people, if you have too many, you got to get several like, you know, organizational psychologists and folks totally. who are like, you know, well-versed in trauma. Yeah. But like, it makes me think of the conversation I often talk about, which is the difference between sacred space and, and safe space. Ooh. And, you know, and we, and the sacred space is like those ERGs. It's like, yeah, we're going to have our unique identities where we can like show up and like talk to each other and see each other and be like, oh my God, that really sucked. Or that was really good. Good job in there. And the places where we're like the safe spaces are harder because we have to make sure that everyone, when we say psychological safety, they're like, Yes, I know what that means. And that people are like committed to doing some kind of work, which is why I'm like, organizations need to focus more on culture, you know, and this is where the like magic can happen or where, you know, it can all fall apart. And the sacred versus safe space is so huge. So, so huge. We can't have enough of people like you, Ashley, you know, we, the world needs so many CEOs like you then the world would be better and different. And I wouldn't mind going to corporate work. <laughs> but the reality is, is that there, you you are few and far between. It's based on your identity. It's based on your lived experience, which is why it is so important to like talk about it and, and to spend time with this episode getting into it. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I also really like the idea of what's the difference between a safe space and a brave space, which plays into that a bit too, right? I think in order to be safe, we have to be brave. And it's kind of like what comes first, the vulnerability or the courage, right? Like all the, all the nuance in that, that ends up being this mushy gushy. And I completely agree. Like we need it all and it's possible. And I'm a firm believer in it's possible. And the people that keep telling me that when you, you know, that people first companies can't be profitable, I think it's bullshit. I think it's absolute bullshit. When we focus on people, the profits will come. If we're all safe, if we all believe in the mission, if we're all there because we want to be there, guess what? It will happen. And it will continue to happen and the foundation will be more sturdy and we'll be able to pivot easier because guess what? We move as a pack. And I don't know. I guess I'm just here to prove them all wrong. I I mean, I feel like (laughs) I love that. And I'm also really sad that we have to prove, we have to work really hard to prove that people matter over productivity, (laughs) that people matter over profits. Yeah. My favorite, well, one of my favorite people to follow is Dan Price. He's the CEO of Gravity Payments and he's the, the guy who went, he went viral when he basically gave up parts of his salary and paid everyone a livable wage. Mm-hmm. And he tweets every day and kind of, you know, brings attention to this. It's just like, you're right, Ashley, that they're, you know, people first companies are like rare. And I can't believe that that's still happening in 2022. But the ones who are stick out, they like are, are definitely folks who, people fall in line to, you know, submit their resume and want to work for you. Mm -hmm. And you have no issue with hiring great talent and probably keeping it. It's the organizations and corporations that are literally extracting people's best parts of themselves in hope of getting a a profit for their shareholders. That just sounds so icky, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, so in terms of your, I haven't looked to see like who your community is in terms of being venture backed. But when you went out and fundraised and, you know, started your company and you said you were going to be people first, like what were the reactions? Did you, did it take you many tries to find folks to fill your cap table who believed in that too? So our first funding round, it's mostly retired elevator people that want to see the industry turn around that believe in the industry and feel really crummy about where it's at now and how, how lost it is. And so our entire first round was, was completely private. And then after that, the next round was mostly those people coming in again. And we did, I wanted to go non VC for as long as possible because I know I'm niche. I know I'm different. I know. And, and I, if you don't get the vision, I don't want to waste my time like trying to explain to you what we're doing because we're too different. And so if you're not with me, like I don't have the time to sit here and con- convince you, right? Like the industry is a hundred plus billion dollar a year industry. And if you don't see that and, and don't get it, then like, bye, right? But then, you know, we ended up taking on some VC funding this round because I got tagged in a LinkedIn post that someone was like, where are all the prop tech women? Every 98% of the people pitching this VC were all men. We ended up getting a meeting because I've always turned down any VC meeting. And 
we just hit it off. And then we went out to lunch and we were very similar. And he was a founder himself. And so he understood what I was doing. He understood. I was like, hey, I'm not building this company to report to venture capitalists. And so if you're someone that, that expects me to work for you and not to work for my employees, we're not the right fit. And he was like, no, that's what I expect you to do. Call me if you need me. Otherwise, I'm out of your hair. And I was like, great. Okay, <laughs> we can do this. And then we ended up getting a couple more folks. And I think it was really because I got on the phone with them and I was like, I'm not taking your money. And they were like, excuse me? And I was like, I'm not taking your money. My round's full. I'll talk to you only because Zane wants me to talk to you. Otherwise, I don't have a conversation with you. And they're like, please extend your round. And I was like, okay, I guess. Like, how did this happen? Wow. That's being a jerk. (laughs) No, it sounds like it happened because you were more aware of who you were and you you were sticking to your values and principles, actually. (laughs) That's what it sounds like, you know, from from my seat. So it's like speaking of that, like, are are your values of the company reflections of your personal values or are they collective to the folks who work with you? I think both. And we found each other, but building out the values and the mission and the vision was something that I spent a lot of money doing um, with the House of Who, who is a great organization in the East Bay. Um, they're a branding company and they, they really helped me articulate the vision and the values and the mission in, in a really eloquent way right in the beginning. And I think everyone probably looked at me like I was bonkers for spending money on branding before I had any sort of software or <laughs> any sort of anything. But for me, it was so important that we had a way to articulate this to the team in an eloquent way that got people on board and really said, this is who we are and this is who we're going to be. And how do we know what we do before we know who we are? That's not possible, right? And so at that point, like the people that align and that gravitate to what our values and vision are, like we just, I think we just kind of find each other. That's awesome. I loved hearing a little bit about your journey, especially when it comes to venture capital, because I think a lot of us just get a weird, icky feeling from even hearing about venture capital. So mm-hmm. it's always good to hear the the good stories. Yeah. But since we are coming up on the hour, I was hoping that we could go into reflections. And this is where we talk about something that stood out to us, maybe a call to action for ourselves or the listeners. I can start. There was something at the beginning of the show that you said that I had to write down was just eating a shame sandwich once in a while. I'm not going to try to say that 10 times fast. (laughs) But yeah, calling, you know, you invited people to call you out. And I love that. That's something I always try to do and model. And it's the best way to learn by saying, you know, when invited, saying, I'm, you know, if we're, we're talking, I'm going to ask you this. If I'm wrong, can you please let me know? Because mm-hmm. I want to learn. I want to grow. And I think that's something that's super important and something that I try to do, especially with children that I'm around, my child, other children that are friends with her, just be like, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And it's just such a good thing to do just to be humble in that ability to say I was wrong 
and I learned. Thank you for that. The thing I really love that you said, and I hadn't heard this, you know, I, I haven't really heard this often is you said your North star is being excellent to each other. And I feel like most people have a North star of growing or making an X number of profit or whatever. And I just love that it is because it, it really does, I think, eliminate your value of being people first um, and demonstrates that that's where you're going to put your time and money. Not only if I had the money, I'd, I'd be like, okay, Ashley, when you're having your next round, I want to, I want to, you know, invest in you. But I feel like leading with that and saying that often tells people who might be interested in a job that you're, what you're about, mm -hmm. tells your clients what you're about. And obviously the, the communities in which you're serving. And I just love that. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. Shantae, I'll, I'll, my, my favorite part of today was you talking about the intersections and celebrating the intersections of identity. And I've, I've had so many conversations with friends about the, the different like lanes into the intersection, but I really like that, that you focused on the intersection and celebrating that intersection as a whole was very cool to me. I loved, I think one of the things I'm going to take with me was your, this doesn't make sense log. Like, I love this concept. This speaks to me on so many different levels. Like, one is the way to raise all these little things that get missed without having to like work up all of the energy to try and give someone feedback in a one-on-one -on -one, like meeting mm -hmm. or whatever else. But also as someone who deals with like ADHD and like from an engineering mindset, just this place to be like, hey, I ran across this and it makes no sense. Can we revisit this? Because the answer might be, oh, here's this explanation for why we do it that way. And you're like, oh, now it makes sense to me. Or it might be like, you're right. Let's figure out a different way to do that. And I just love that there's just this running place that anyone can just dump these thoughts as they run across them. It's really cool. Awesome. Well, Shantae, Aaron, Ashley, it's been such a great conversation. And thank you all so much for showing up and being vulnerable and having this discussion. It's been great. So... With that, I just want to thank you again. I thank the audience and we'll see you all next week. 